I want to talk to you tonight about the, the allness of prayer. Paul uses that, that phrase all about four times in verse 18. And so I thought that was significant enough for us to talk about it. Uh, talks about um, praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of um, prayers and requests. And then he says, be praying always for all the saints. So there are four references there to literally, I think, the allness of prayer. So I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. Next week, I want to focus on especially intercession and intercession for the body as well as individuals because Paul is going to call for the church at Ephesus to pray for him specifically. So we'll talk about intercessory prayer next week. We began a couple of weeks ago talking about prayer, and I asked the question, why pray? Do you remember that? How many were around uh, two weeks ago? Half of you. <laughs> okay, why pray? Yeah, because the alternative is not very good. The alternative is to what? To, to give up, to quit. That's what Jesus says. If you remember the, the, uh, the, the parable he told in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus told this parable to his disciples, Luke says, so that they would always pray and not give up. The alternative to praying is giving up. And whenever you and I quit praying, we're going to give up. It's not that we're going to be tempted to give up. We're going to give up. We're going to quit. So we've got to continue to pray. Now, here's a, here's a, a thought that I think is very, very helpful. At least it is to me. People say, well, I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been praying and I haven't seen this thing happen that I'm praying about. Keep praying, otherwise you're going to give up. You're going to give up. Isn't the temptation to give up strong? Even when you're praying, you don't see anything really happening. I mean, you're praying for something, you're praying for something, and it just doesn't seem to be any movement at all, and the temptation is very, very strong to, to quit. To think, well, I guess that must not be God's will, or I'm just tired, or I'll just give in, and pray always. Don't quit. Now, for one thing, if we, if we quit praying, we're going to lose heart. We're going to lose heart over a lot of issues. And once you quit over one issue, it becomes easier to quit over another issue, doesn't it? So the whole point, Jesus says, keep praying. Keep in a constant state, a constant attitude of prayer. We talked about that. Now, when we talk about keep praying, we talk about prayer. What is, what constitutes true prayer? We talked about this last week. What constitutes true prayer? Um, just prayers that we pray by rote memory? Huh? No? Prayer in the Spirit. Prayer in the Spirit. Now, you can't pray in the Spirit if you don't have what? The Spirit in you. So, in effect, to pray in the Spirit, you've got to be born again. To pray in the Spirit, you also, what, have to be filled with the Spirit. Does that make sense? To pray in the Spirit, you have to have your mind set on the things that the flesh desires, spirit desires. To pray in the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians 5.25, you must keep in step with the flesh. With the Spirit, that's right. Good, all right. A little refresher, of course. It's helpful, huh? Do you appreciate my being redundant? Yeah. Yes. I know a lot of people don't, but some of you do. I appreciate that too. I like being redundant. I think it's helpful. Okay, look. 
Verse 18 in, in Ephesians 6, talking about prayer, the allness of prayer. Paul says that we should pray in the Spirit on all occasions. On all occasions. The point, I believe, Paul is trying to make, as well as Jesus, when Jesus talks about prayer, is this. Prayer ought to be preeminent in our life. Prayer ought to be amongst the most important things, if in, if in fact not the most important thing in our life. Prayer. Prayer is so, so essential. It should be viewed at, by us as important as any other aspect of our Christian life and our Christian experience. You say, should prayer be as important as the Word? Yes. Should prayer be as important as knowledge, our knowledge of God? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You see, because it's only when there is regular, consistent, continuous, sincere prayer in our life. Think about this now. It's only when there's a regular habit, a regular consistency to our prayer life that the Holy Spirit can add spiritual wisdom, knowledge, or insight, understanding to our knowledge. I mean, you can read and study the Bible, and we ought to do that, right? We ought to commit the scriptures to memory. We ought to meditate on the scriptures. You can have a tremendous knowledge of the scriptures, of God, of the plan of salvation, you can know the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, but without a consistent, sincere prayer life. It's only with that that the Holy Spirit adds to, enriches, deepens, gives us insight, understanding, wisdom that accompanies and fulfills the knowledge that we have. In other words, it's not just head knowledge we have anymore. The Holy Spirit just really begins to illuminate these things to us and give us tremendous comprehension, tremendous application, understanding. Uh, you know that the, that the scriptures are, are so rich, you can't fully mine them. Do you know that? I mean, you can't get to the bottom. They're just so full of gems and, and, and glorious riches. But the, the more consistent and rich and, cons and, and, and sincere our prayer life, it's through that that the Holy Spirit can really enrich our understanding and the knowledge that we have and we've acquired from reading the scriptures. One author wrote this. I thought this was a very interesting observation. He says, our ultimate position, our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. It's not the character of how much we know. I mean, all of us know people who know lots of verses, who have tremendous biblical knowledge. But what really tests their life, what really proves out their life, is what? Prayer. Are they a man? Are they a woman of prayer? You and I have met people like that. We know men and women of sincere prayer. Men and people, men and women who have devoted their lives to praying. They're not hermits. They're not hiding away in some cave. They're not buried away. They're not people that you can't relate to. But there's something that marks their life that is rich. 
And that something comes, I believe, as the Holy Spirit moves on them as they pray. As they pray. A person can be a Bible school or a seminary graduate. He, could be a, he or she could be a pastor, a, a missionary. But our, our true knowledge of God, our relationship with God, these things are measured, determined, really, by our prayer life. If I read a book about some great person who's currently still alive, and maybe I read exhaustively about that person, so I really know that person. Do I really know that person? Well, at some level I do. But what if I have opportunity to be in relationship with that person? And what if I have opportunity to go and, and talk with that person about all the stuff that I've read about him or her? Would that significantly enhance my knowledge and or relationship with that person? Absolutely. And so it's communication, prayer. The person, the Christian, who, is, who understands and grasps the reality of, a, of a, a continuous, sincere prayer life will grow in great, rich understanding of God. And that person's relationship with him will grow and mature and be fulfilling like no other thing can be for that person's life. Think about that. We need to, we need to pray not only when we feel like it, but also when we don't feel like it. Isn't that a, isn't that a real strong test? You see, see how prayer life tests the character of who you are? Your Christianity? Are you a person who prays regardless? Are you a person who is utterly, unalterably committed to communion with God no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your feelings are like? Because you know that he loves you. You know that he's on your side. You know that he has solutions. You know that he can provide the avenues. You know that he can give you wisdom. You know that he can give you insight. You know that he can provide a solution to a problem that you would never be able to think of on your own. Well, I, I don't feel like it. Have you prayed today? Well, I don't feel like it. For heaven's sakes, feeling like it has nothing to do with it. It's what's right. It's what's healthy. It's what's necessary. It's what's important. It's what's vital. Why in the world would you cut yourself off from the source of life and light and goodness and strength and help and wisdom? Why? Because no, I just don't feel like it. Anybody relate to that? Anybody in this room ever thought about praying and not prayed because you just didn't feel like it? Put in that context, doesn't it seem kind of foolish? Far too many of us are governed by our emotions. Do you realize that? The tail wags the dog. That's what it is. And that'll always get us in trouble. Always. The Jews had a custom of praying. They prayed generally three times a day. Morning, 
afternoon and evening. There's some references in the scriptures. Daniel in chapter 6, verse 10, you remember when Daniel heard the decree that he wasn't supposed to worship his God anymore? He went right up to his upper room, opened the window so everyone can see, and he knelt down and he prayed, just as his custom was, three times a day. In uh, Psalm 55, verse 17, David speaks of his prayer, his crying out, his groaning to God in the evening, at noontime, in the morning. In the New Testament, we see Peter and John going up to the temple in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And they're going up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I think it's the 6th or the ninth hour to pray. And there were, certain, there, were, there were certain hours, morning hours, where there was prayer, there was offerings, and there was prayer afternoon and evening offerings and prayer. And so the Jews uh, had a custom of praying several times a day. But you see, with the giving of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, a whole new dimension was brought to prayer as well as to everything else uh, in, in terms of a relationship with God. The early Christians didn't just pray three times a day. The early Christians devoted themselves to prayer. That's what Luke says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Amongst other things, the breaking of bread, fellowship, uh, the teaching of the apostles and so forth, they devoted themselves to prayer. They understood the significance and the importance of being in continuous prayer. In fact, if you read Paul's letters, in almost every one of his letters, not only does he pray for the churches he writes to, not only does he tell them he prays for them, but he urges them to pray themselves. Over in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, he says to the Roman church and to all of us, he says, be faithful in prayer. Now, why would he say that? Because he understands how significant vital prayer is. Be faithful in prayer. The opposite is to be what? Faithless in prayer. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, all of us know this verse. Paul says, instead of being anxious about everything, he says, rather, in everything, with prayer and what? And petitions, supplications, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God. Let your request be made known to God. He says, in everything. In uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, there Paul says essentially the same thing. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, these phrases, these words that he uses... Do we understand them as to mean just kind of part-time whenever we feel like it? No, he's talking about being utterly committed to prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, This is God's will for you. Pray continuously. Whew, that's God's will. Pray continuously. He writes to Timothy in the second, in, in the second letter to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 3, he tells Timothy this, Timothy, constantly, constantly, I pray for you day and night. Then, wouldn't you like to get a letter like that from Paul? Well, you know, you got a letter like that, but it's from somebody even greater than Paul. Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus is at the right hand of God, constantly making intercession and praying for you? That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Isn't that exciting? He's at the right hand of the Father, constantly praying and interceding for each one of us. And he's written us that love letter to let us know. Isn't that nice? Prayer, constant prayer. 
So the early church knew the importance of prayer. And God honored their prayers. And they say, oh, sure. Well, the early church, they had great faith. They had this incredible faith. Of course God would honor their prayers. You know what? I want to read to you an occasion when they didn't have such great faith, but God still honored their prayers. It's located in Acts chapter 12. The setting is Peter's miraculous escape from prison. Now he's taken prisoner. James, the brother of John, has been already murdered by Herod. Luke records all this. He says because, because Herod saw that, that the Jews who were enemies of, this, of the early church, enemies of, of the way, it pleased them when there was persecution against these Christians. And so, uh, and so Herod arrests Peter. Now in verse 5 of chapter 12, we're told that Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So the believers there in Jerusalem were really praying for Peter. Earnestly so. Now the rest of the account, down to uh, verse uh, 12, speaks of an angel coming and suddenly setting Peter free, walking him through the gate. Peter realizes, whew, I'm free. Blows him away. When this had dawned on him, verse 12, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl, girl named Rhoda isn't it nice that Rhoda is memorialized here for her great faith? A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she opened the door and received him with great joy. <laughs> what does she do? She leaves him standing outside. I mean, here they are. They're all praying for Peter's release. Peter gets out. He's knocking at the door. She hears his voice, she goes, and she runs away from the door. Isn't that exciting? Now look at this. She ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Well, let him in, they say. No. <laughs> this is great. I love this. Look at the faith. Here they are, they're praying. They're praying earnestly that God would set Peter free. He sets them free, and they don't believe it. <laughs> great faith. Isn't that great faith? <laughs> Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel. <laughs> Isn't that great? You see, even when you don't have great faith, you just keep praying. You just keep praying. Don't quit. Just keep praying. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. I love that. They were astonished. It's you. Well, of course. Haven't they prayed? Oh, I'll tell you. You know, there is no time when we do not need to pray. There is no time when we do not need to pray, and there is no time when God will not hear our prayers. 
no time when God will not hear our prayers. The sad thing is that most Christians never really get serious about prayer until a problem arises in their life or in the life of someone they love. And when that problem in their life or the life of someone they love arises, boy, then they get serious. Then they get earnest. Then they get fervent. Then they get uh, committed to praying and they get committed to getting everybody involved that they know in prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with that except that it's just upon occasion. And the rest of their life, there's no real serious commitment to prayer. Do you know what I'm talking about? And yet we should always pray with with intensity, with persistence, with specificity. We should always be praying as if at any moment something could be happening, some serious event could occur. So that we're always prepared, we're always equipped to pray on all occasions, as Paul instructs us here. It does not mean that we're to pray in formal and noticeable ways every moment of our life. I mean, every living, waking moment. Sometimes when we hear this, pray it all, pray always, we think, oh my gosh, how can I pray always? I only know one prayer. Do you just want me to repeat it over and over and over? <laughs> well, incidentally, I, I need a little aside before I forget. Last week, I, I had a few comments. People felt that I was Catholic bashing. I was not Catholic bashing. Uh, I preface my remarks about my experience growing up as a Catholic by saying, if you're Catholic, please don't be offended. But this was my experience. I was referring to it as an example of formal liturgical kinds of worship and prayers uh, that had no real substance. And so if you were offended, then uh, please forgive me, but that was not my intent. I do not Catholic bash. Okay? Now, if you're Catholic and you want to discuss doctrine with me on a one-on-one, -on -one, I'd be more than happy to do that. But that was not the point. So it's very, very important for you to, to know that. I had a few people who were a little upset at me. Um, to pray on all occasions does not mean that we're to devote ourselves to ritualistic patterns and forms of prayer that can be purely mechanical. We don't go through all this ritual. We're not mechanical. We're not uh, ritualistic in that sense. That's not what it says, to, what it means to pray on all occasions. To pray on all occasions does mean that we're to live in a continual, conscious awareness of our Heavenly Father. A continual, conscious awareness of our Heavenly Father. That he's here. That he loves me. That he cares for me. That he's listening to me. That he understands everything that I'm going through. He understands everything that I'm facing. And that he has a design and a plan and a purpose for my life that I may not fully understand at the time that I'm going through whatever I'm going through. Whether I'm going through it because of my own foolish choices or I'm going through it because of circumstances beyond my control. But there is a sovereign God, my Heavenly Father, who is in control and who does love me and who does care for me and wants me to trust and hope in Him and believe in Him and consciously be aware of His presence in my life. And as I do so, 
then, I mean, with that, that kind of understanding, that, that kind of thinking, the forefront of my mind, I can't help but be in constant communication with him, can I? I mean, there's all sorts of prayer. We'll look at them in just a couple of minutes. But I think that to, the, the first and, and most important significant entity to understanding praying on all occasions is to practice daily to have a constant conscious awareness of my Heavenly Father. Talk to him about everything that comes up in my life. Doesn't the proverb say to acknowledge him in all of my ways? Acknowledge him in all of my ways. Everything that's going on, just talk to him about it. Now again, I shared with you a couple weeks ago, most of us have, have terrible communication skills. Most of us think that, that if, we are, if, we have if we have good communication skills, uh, that's only because we do all the talking. You know? Communication is two-way. And I think for you to understand good communication skills, um, you need to, to be able to know what to share as well as how to be quiet and listen for responses, for leading. And uh, essentially what you share uh, in, in good communication is whatever sensory input you have, whatever you saw, hear, so forth. And then what you think about whatever you saw or heard, tasted, smelled. And then your thinking is always going to lead to some kind of emotional response, so whatever you felt about it. And fourthly, whatever your intentions may be toward that thing or situation, to do or not to do. And then finally, what in fact you did or didn't do. And so as I go about my day, I try to think of those five little steps and constantly include them in my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with people that I'm in relationship with, and give them a whole lot of information about where I'm at. I think that's very, very important. But in all of my ways, acknowledge him. Lord, you are Lord. You are my Father. You care. When I'm tempted, bring it before him and ask for help. When I experience something good and beautiful, I can immediately thank him and praise him for it. When I see evil, I can pray to him and ask him to make it right, and if possible, use me somewhere in the process. When I meet someone who does not know Christ, I can pray for that person. I can pray to God. God, turn that person's heart towards you. And if possible, use me as a faithful witness. When I encounter trouble, I can turn to him as my deliverer. No matter what it is in my life, the idea of being in constant communication with him, constant awareness every day. And even as I lie down at night, I know that he watches over me. I can go to sleep. And I'm often fond of reminding him, you're going to be up all night anyway. So the things that I'm worried about, I'm going to just leave with you so I can get some sleep. <laughs> Works very handily. But you see, in other words, our life becomes a perpetual communing with our Heavenly Father. Praying on all occasions. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing. Literally, Colossians 3, 2, 
would be kind of a corollary to this where Paul says to set our minds on the things above, not on the things below. And to pray on all occasions really does. It brings all the things below up to up above, doesn't it? All the things that we tend to focus on here, we bring them to him. That's tantamount to praying on a continuous basis on all occasions. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, John speaks about our fellowship with God. He says, we have fellowship with God and with Jesus Christ, his son. We have it now. We don't have to wait till heaven to have it. We have it now. Isn't that wonderful? I thought that was a tremendous thing when he told me that. That we have it now. We don't have to wait till later. God's greatest desire, think about this, God's greatest desire, my greatest need, is to be in constant fellowship with him. Now. True? Isn't that his greatest desire for all of us? That we be in, in constant communication and fellowship with him now? Isn't that our greatest need? That we be in constant communication and fellowship with him now? Absolutely. There's no greater expression, there's no greater experience of fellowship than prayer. Than prayer. You getting a feeling for how important prayer is? Absolutely, vitally essential. Prayer. So he says pray on all occasions. And he says pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. This is fascinating. All kinds of, how many kinds of prayers are there? You ever thought about that? There's all kinds of prayers, all kinds of ways to pray. But all kinds of prayers and requests. The word, the specific things we want to bring to him. The specific things we want to talk to about him. The specific things we want to ask him. So there's the general and the specific. But let me share with you some some of the many, many varieties of kinds of prayer and way to pray as, as, uh, as we could think about. There's silent prayer and there's audible prayer. There is public prayer and private prayer. There is prayer in loud cries and wailings. There's prayer in groanings. There's prayer in soft whispers. There's prayer in everyday language. There's prayer in tongues. There's prayer without ceasing, and there's prayer that terminates. There's prayer that is short, and prayer that is long. I thought that was good. Prayer that is fasting prayer, and there's feasting prayer. There's prayer with one's life, as well as prayer with one's words. There's rejoicing prayer, broken prayer. It's when you're really broken. Thanksgiving prayer. Have you ever just prayed, thank you? Just been so overwhelmed with Thanksgiving, all you can just say is thank you. That's one of the greatest prayers you can ever pray. Thank you. There's adoring prayer, praising prayer, worshiping prayer, doctrinal prayer. I like that one. I pray doctrinally. I like to pray doctrinally. There are asking prayers, emotional prayers, resisting the enemy prayers, standing in the Lord prayers, deliberate and planned prayers, and spontaneous prayers. 
There's praying when you're sitting down, standing up, kneeling, even lying down on your bed at night. You can pray when you're lying down. That's legitimate. <laughs> Most people feel guilty about that. They say, oh, I, want, I don't want to get out of this warm bed and lay, kneel down. Is it okay to pray and lay here, God? Yes. There's at-home prayer and in-church prayer. Working prayer. Prayer while you're at leisure. Prayer while you're traveling. While you're walking, while you're driving. You can pray with your hands folded or unfolded. You can pray with your hands raised or not raised. You can pray with your head bowed or not bowed. You can pray with your eyes open or your eyes closed. With all kinds of prayer and requests. You see, it doesn't matter so much the posture. It doesn't matter so much the time or the place. But it's the attitude, isn't it? It's that I'm in the, I'm in the sphere, in the element of the spirit. I have a constant conscious awareness of, of communication going on. There is something transpiring. We can pray wherever we are in whatever situation we're in. For the faithful, spirit-filled Christian, every place becomes a place of prayer. Every place. So pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in general. Pray in particular. And certainly as you see various needs and issues arise, especially now as you see things arise in the lives of other believers. Because he says, always keep on praying for all the saints. And we're going to get in more into this next week, but I just want to touch on it a little bit. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Now there's two good reasons for this. First of all, because Paul, in this context of spiritual warfare, he's, he's in a sense saying all Christians are involved in spiritual warfare. Therefore, all Christians need to be constantly upheld in prayer. You, ever, you guys read the book, um, This Present Darkness? How many read it? Great book. We're currently rereading, and I'm reading it with my son. And uh, he's finding it very, very fascinating. In fact, uh, I bought him the tapes. It's on tape. You can get it on audio cassette tapes now. And he's listening to the auto cassette tapes, and he's way ahead of us. He's, and we're just kind of plodding through it a chapter at a time. And uh, he said, Dad, Dad, you think where we are now in the book is bad? Wait till you get later on. It is really getting bad. But you know what's intriguing to me? It's a novel. It's fiction. And what's intriguing to me is the, uh, uh, the premise that the, that the good angels need the saints to be praying before they will be able to fight against the demons. Now, I don't know how much truth there is in that in terms of reality, but it's an interesting premise, and it certainly stokes me up to continue to pray. But we need to keep on praying for all the saints because all the saints are involved in spiritual warfare. And there's a second very good reason why Paul says to pray for others. Because when you pray for others, you get the focus off yourself. You get the focus off yourself. Boy, how we need that, huh? We have a new book of the month, by the way. It's called Christ Esteem. I want to commend this book to every single person in this church. Christ Esteem. 
How many have heard of self-esteem? How many have been involved at some point in your life with the search for self-esteem? You need to get this book. Because his premise is Jesus, when he says, deny yourself. Don't seek to save your life. Seek to lose it. Give yourself away. So if you're all caught up in self-esteem, getting to know yourself better, this is a good book for you. But anyway, the idea is to keep on praying for others because they're in warfare and it also keeps the focus off of you. Now, it's not inappropriate to pray for yourself. It's quite okay to pray for yourself. Jesus, in fact, in John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, the first prayer he prays is for himself. So it's not inappropriate to pray for ourselves, but Scripture does seem to call us to put others first. Paul says in Romans 12, honor one another above yourselves. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, he says to put other, the interests of others before your own. Don't say, he doesn't say ignore your own interests, but, but look to the interests of others. And then he goes on to give Jesus as that example of one who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross so that we might have life. You see? So there is that principle. And Paul, even when he's concerned about his own needs, nowhere does, that I've been able to find does he mention having prayed for himself. But he does still ask others to pray for him, and we'll see that next week when he asks the Ephesians to pray for him. The greatest thing that you and I can do for another believer is to guess what? Is to pray for that person on a continuous basis. Pray for that person on a consistent basis. Listen to what Samuel writes. This is marvelous. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, he says this interesting thing. Now he's speaking to Israel, just as Paul would be speaking to the church. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. In Samuel's mind, who was the greatest prophet that Israel would ever know, in his mind, it was sin against the Lord to cease praying for God's people. Isn't that interesting? Can you see a relationship there between what Samuel says and what Paul says here now? Always pray for all the saints. Because to do less means trouble. Paul did not cease praying for all the saints. He understood that we're in spiritual warfare. He understood the necessity for prayer. And he understood the necessity for stirring up the churches that they should also pray. Now, you know this, a spiritually healthy person, a spiritually mature individual, is going to find themselves devoted to the welfare of others. Do you know that? They're not going to be so much focused on their own needs, their own situation, as because of their spiritual health. They're going to find themselves focusing on how can I minister to other people, and especially in the arena of prayer. The root, I think the Bible says that the root of all spiritual and or psychological problems stems from a preoccupation with self. I don't think we were built to spend too much time looking at ourselves because when we spend too much time looking at ourselves, we get depressed. 
I don't know about you, but I look at myself too long and I think, oh my. I got to get my eyes off myself. And so if you've got some real, real problems, you might need to look into praying for others, people in your own life, pronouncing blessings on them. I had a call this week from a gal in our church, and she was just so depressed and discouraged. Things weren't going well at home. She's just about to pull her hair out, frustrated. And so I just talked to her for a few minutes on the phone. We prayed and just tried to encourage her. And her relationship with her husband was just terrible. And I asked her, I said, are you, are you praying for your husband? Are you praying for your husband? Oh, you know, you feel the squirming on the other end of the line. And I said, start praying for him. Start praying for him. And then every day, two or three times a day, pronounce a blessing on him. Just say, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Just say that. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Just start doing it every day, three, four, five times a day. Let's see what happens. You suppose something might happen positively? I have great faith that it will. See, because what? There's a principle here. She's getting her mind off herself. And she's beginning to pray for this man who is insensitive, doesn't understand her, doesn't love her the way Christ loved the church. All the typical stuff that women complain that men don't do. <laughs> and that men don't do. That's why women are complaining, <laughs> quite frankly. But as soon as she gets her eyes off herself and she starts praying for her husband on a continuous basis and pronouncing a blessing on him. And husbands, you can do the same things for your wives. I love to do that for my wife. My wife is so funny. I was leaving for the office yesterday morning. Every morning before I leave, I pray for her. I take her in my arms and I hold her and I pray for her. And I was running late, so I was rushing. And she just, she'd been in the shower, and so she gets out of the shower, and she's got her towel all wrapped around, and she's standing right there by the door waiting. <laughs> I said, are you waiting for something? <laughs> you see, the believer, this goes true for any person, but especially now the believer, because that's what we're talking about, the believer is consumed with his or her own problems, be they spiritual, personal, relational, financial, whatever they are, to the exclusion of concern for others, especially other believers, that person suffers from a destructive self-centeredness that is not only the cause of their problems, but also because they're excluding others from their life, this self-centeredness becomes the barrier also to their being set free. So hence, Paul says, pray. Pray always for all the saints. Get your focus off yourself. Understand that other people got problems. Understand that other people need to be lifted up in prayer. And, and I'm calling you to pray, he says. Usually this self-centeredness, this selfishness, isolates us from others. We really hold other people off. We won't let them in close to our life and... When we do so, you see, if we would, then those people who could be intimately involved with us in fellowship 
would be what? They'd be praying for us. But if we isolate ourselves because of our selfishness, because of our self-centeredness, we hold people at bay. Those people who could normally be praying for us, they're not there to pray for us. Isn't that a tragedy? Prayer is very, very important. Praying for others with sincerity, praying for others with perseverance is in God's great economy of things, in His immeasurable grace, it is a source of great blessing and strength to our own lives. Praying for others. Jesus kind of summed it all up when He said in Luke's Gospel, Give and it shall be given to you. Get your focus off yourself. Reach out to that other person. Give to that other person. Give to that other situation. Give to that other need. The give is, is unrestricted in terms of what you're to give. Give yourself away. Because you know that there's a God in heaven who's watching, who's observing, and when you do this, you're in step with the Spirit as you begin to give yourself away. And He says, and it shall be given to you. And not meagerly, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You're going to get blessed out of your socks in, the, in our vernacular when you pray for others. So Paul says to us, church, pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And he says, with this in mind, be alert and always be praying for all the saints. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the instruction on prayer. Thank you that we can pray. Thank you that you want us to. Thank you that you care. Thank you that even you, you know our needs and you know the things that we're thinking and the very things that we're going to pray. You still want us to pray. Thank you that you don't treat us as insignificant beings, but as very significant beings. Thank you that we really do count. And what we say and, and, and what we are really is important to you. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your love. I pray that you would fix in our minds and our hearts this idea to pray and how important it is that prayer would be for all of us preeminent, that each one of us would develop an attitude of constant, everyday, conscious awareness of you that we indeed would submit all things to you, that we would acknowledge you in all of our ways and not lean on our own understanding, never straying from your loving care and hand. We praise you tonight. We thank you that you are our God, that you are on the throne, that you are alive and real. You're not a myth. Though we can't see you, we know you, and you know us. And we give you praise and honor tonight. 
And Father, we pray all these things. We speak them on the authority of Jesus. Because of him, we can talk with you. So we pray in his name and by your spirit. Amen.